You know, there are a lot of things in life as we welcome you to this 418th episode of unscripted there are a lot of things in life that just make you go huh and what i mean by that is you know um why certain things that i mean when certain things get done whether it's from the wonderful and wacky world of sports or not why some things are ultimately done the way that they are an example for me I am an American, though I live in the great country of Canada. And I can be a dual citizen of both, and I am in the process of doing that. So someday I can collect pensions from the Canadian government and the U.S. government. That's basically what it's for. But it just makes me go, huh? I can become a dual citizen. My kids already are dual citizens. They were born in Canada, Canada but their father's American. Um, but why, as my wife, who's a Canadian, why can't she become a dual citizen? Because the United States will not allow her to become a dual citizen or a citizen of the United States, period, unless she relinquishes her Canadian citizenship. Why doesn't Canada make me relinquish my U.S. citizenship? I would never do that because that's still my home country. I went to a war for my home country. And though I love living in Canada, and it's a great, except for the taxes, I love living in Canada. And the weather isn't too real good in, in Western Canada right now either, but that's for another day. That's one of the things in life that makes me go, huh. Another thing from the wonderful and wacky world of sports that makes me go, huh, is how does the numbers gurus in the National Football League come up with a perfect passer rating of 158.3? Now, if you're a simpleton like I am, why wouldn't a perfect passer rating be 100.00? How do you come up with a number out of the sky of 158.3? Um, here's another one that makes me go, huh? 1972. I just saw a replay of this game the other day, and it just made me think about this as I scratch my, my head in wonder why things in life make you go, huh? In 1972, the AFC Championship game was a game that was played between the Miami Dolphins and the Pittsburgh Steelers, with the winner going on to play in Super Bowl VII, which would ultimately be the Dolphins against the Washington Redskins, and that was the year the Dolphins went a perfect 17-0. 14-0 during the regular season, three playoff games, 17-0. The only team in professional football history to go undefeated. Um, but why was the AFC championship game, especially when Miami's in the game, and at the time they were obviously, they went on to go 17-0, they had not lost a game, yet why was the 1972 AFC championship game played in Pittsburgh instead of Miami? That makes me go, huh? There's a lot of interesting things like that. I mean, again, how does a team that has not lost a game all year lose home field advantage <laughs> in the conference championship game? How is it that from up until about, 
oh, I don't remember. I think it was like the early 30s, let's say. And I'm just spitballing here, but it makes you go, huh? Why up until about, let's say just for conversation purposes, 1935? I don't know the real number, but I do remember the 1919 Black Sox scandal. I wasn't there. I'm old, but I wasn't there. The 1919 Black Sox scandal in the World Series between the Chicago White Sox and the Cincinnati Reds, that was a best of nine. Best of nine. You win or, To win the series, wow. you had to win five games. Who decided that, oh, let's make it seven, and the best of, the best of seven, you've got to win four. That makes you go, huh? Um, there are just a bunch of things like that. How is it that in the Olympics until 1992 with the first creation of the NBA um, dream team, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, you know them all, Patrick Ewing, Charles Barkley, the only collegiate guy on that team, of course, was Christian Leitner. Up until that time, it had always been collegiate players. But then the funny thing is, how is it at that time, up until 1992, the games of Barcelona, why was it up, up until that time, it was always amateur players in the United States, representing the United States of America, but around the world, other countries sent their professional athletes, supposedly for an amateur competition. Huh? I just, you know, I'm spitballing here, but... Those are some of the things that make me go, huh, from the wonderful and wacky world of sports. Well, uh, that, that what comes to mind there is how anyone, anyone could like John Jones. But uh, besides, <laughs> besides that, I thought I'd delve into this 158.3 thing. And they've actually got all the complex formulas listed here. But here's the idea between the outer edges. So the 0, 0.0 to the 158.3. Okay, so yeah. the idea is that... Uh, if someone's going to get a 0, 0.0 rating, mm -hmm. uh, they have to have no better than a 30% completion percentage. Okay. Uh, no better than three yards per attempt. Okay. They have to have no touchdowns, and they have to have at least one interception for every 10 and a half attempts. Ooh, okay. Okay. All right. To get a 158.3 rating, now, and this is what Mike and I were talking about over sushi today, which was, you know, what... What is that? And I, you know, because there's no point in making it, like I said, that you have to have no incompletions right. or something that just never happens. There's no point in even having that. So what did they decide is a perfect quarterback performance? So I'll tell you. So to be the maximum rating of 158.3, which is just an arbitrary number that the calculations come out to, the idea is that a perfect quarterback performance means you would have at least a 77.5% completion percentage. Okay. You'll have at least 12 and a half yards per attempt. You'll have at least uh, one touchdown for every eight and a half attempts, and you'll have no interceptions. So, and I think that's I, th I think that's fair. And then the NCAA has their own uh, one, which is uh, all from different numbers. For some reason, that you think you think the 158.3 is dumb. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but there's at least the NFL starts at zero. The uh, colleges zero is negative seven hundred thirty-one point six. Oh, that is stupid. Yeah, and then their hundred, their perfect or hundred fifty-eight point three right. is twelve hundred sixty-one point six. <laughs> so, and and for them, see, their theirs is actually theirs is actually totally impossible. Like twelve sixty-one point six is okay, literally impossible, right? Because to get twelve sixty-one point six, 
every pass attempt would have to be a 99 yard touchdown. <laughs> so okay. it's like luck. you'd have to always start on the one, always 99. Yeah, it's just like, see, that one's pointless. That one's extra stupid. So if you want to make the NFL one look good, look at the NCAA one because it's really dumb. Hmm. So. So uh, yeah. That, anyway, that's that's the uh, that's your background on the formula. I appreciate that, but there are a lot of things in in the wonderful and wacky world of sports and in life in general. It just it just make you know just make your scratch your head going, huh? Um, I also wanted to ask, and I started talking about this back when Chris and I went through on episode four hundred and sixteen, went through our week nine NFL picks, and I asked the question, and this was right around when we were talking about the Cleveland-Denver game for Sunday afternoon from Mile High, I asked, and I threw out a little teaser there, which coach or and or general manager is the next to get fired in the big four of professional sports? Now, I don't think anybody else is going to get fired in baseball this year because they've basically taken care of that, and I rattled off all the different new managers for the baseball teams that have made changes. Again, Pittsburgh is the only team in Major League Baseball that is without a manager right now, but that team is also without a general manager and a president of baseball operations. So they are doing literally a thorough uh, rebuilding, cleaning house uh, of the Pirates organization. But which coach, and I'd be interested to see what Chris has to say, but which coach or general manager or both, I don't care, which high-ranking official, let's do it like that, which high-ranking official is the next to get fired from one of the big four professional sports? And again, when we talk big four, we're talking National Football League, the NBA, the National Hockey League, and Major League Baseball. I believe in my heart of hearts right now, and the guy that I mentioned from the Cleveland and Denver, and even though both head coaches could get it, I believe Elway will probably give Vic Fangio another year. I mean, he gave Vance Joseph two years and Vance Joseph looked as confused as Vic Fangio does on Denver sidelines this year. But I truly believe that John Dorsey and uh, truck stop Jimmy in Cleveland are going to be so disappointed at the end of this season because, you know, and Chris had mentioned this in an early, uh, earlier episode of Unscripted that we had already anointed the Cleveland Browns at the beginning of the year. We had already anointed them. Not only, not all of us, but surprisingly many of us thought that the AFC North was theirs to win because we knew Pittsburgh wasn't going to be the same. Cincinnati is Cincinnati, and Baltimore was, was uh, making the move from Joe Flacco at quarterback to Jackson. But Cleveland has just, I mean, Cleveland is still Cleveland. I mean, we have on this program tried to bolster Cleveland's self-image, Cleveland's perception around the world. Um, again, Cleveland's first major sports championship in 2016. That was the first one the city of Cleveland has enjoyed since 1964 when the Cleveland Browns with the great Jim Brown did it. That was the last time Cleveland won a championship. But we had already, because they bring in OBJ, they bring in uh, Jarvis Landry, obviously second year under uh, that idiot from Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield. Um, you still have Miles Garrett. You have a very imposing front seven of a, of a defensive unit. Um, but, you know, sometimes it takes more than one year 
to right the ship. And again, I've said this numerous times. Chris has said it numerous times. A couple years ago, Cleveland went through a period of 1-31. and 31. They were dog shit, literally. From the dog pound, they were dog shit for two years. And they had to go through a major transformation to get where they are now. John Dorsey and his friends from Green Bay have done an unbelievable job, but yet you still... Every year, the Washington Redskins win the, win the offseason, and they look great on paper. But they still suck when they start playing the games for real. I think Freddie Kitchens is going to be a casualty of this season at the end because Cleveland was expecting so much. Um, there was hope in Cleveland. They thought that they had turned the corner. But I believe, in my heart of hearts, because I really don't know if Freddie knows what he's doing, I think last year he benefited because he had uh, Greg Williams on staff, who was his defensive coordinator at the time. And Williams, regardless of what you think his reputation, Williams does have some head coaching experience at the National Football League level, and he was there as a sounding board to get Freddie Kitchens through the end of the season last year in Cleveland after they had let, uh, what's-his-face go, the the bald-headed guy. Oh, Hugh Jackson? Hugh Jackson. After Hugh Jackson had been dismissed, I think that Greg Williams was a sounding board for Freddie Kitchens to get him through the season. And Freddie Kitchens, I believe, was given the head coaching job because Baker Mayfield, he's my buddy. Well, if that's ever the kiss of death. Um, I just think Freddie Kitchens will be a casualty at the end of the year because Cleveland fans, fans were expecting more. Cleveland fans deserve more. And the Cleveland Browns right now at this point of the season no, they're not going to just go one and thirty-two or next, one and thirty-one over the next two seasons. But yet, right now, they are not a playoff team, and until some revisions to their current roster, they do a little bit more tweaking. The Browns are not a playoff team in the foreseeable future, in my opinion. Yeah, even though Freddie Kitchens, uh, you know, is straight out of Central Casting for Guy from Cleveland, number four in any movie. Uh, it will be a shame. I hate when you do that, when I take a drink and then you say something funny. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, I, I feel bad. He seems like a good dude, but he's he's over. He's like an old school football guy. Yeah. It looks like when, yeah. you know, they couldn't find anyone, so they hired some fullbacks coach from the local high school, <laughs> you know, to, to, to be the... It's like... <laughs> That's funny. You know, he seems like a decent dude and, uh, you know, whatever, but... I, he's not going to start coaching circles around Belichick, like we've, you know, or McVeigh or something. You've, I, I just don't think it was the right. I appreciate why they did it. Uh, it seems like a salt of the earth guy seems to suit Cleveland, but I just, it's not the right thing in 2019, and I think that was a mistake. For me, if I have to pick a guy, and I'm reluctant to say this, but I've got to pick poor Todd McClellan in really? Los Angeles. I know he's a great coach with a great pedigree. Had seven great years in San Jose, had a few uh, seasons in uh, Edmonton, led them to the playoffs the one year and should have been more than that. But uh, he's a guy, he's a good, solid dude. He's from 20 minutes away from me when I was in Yorkton, he was in Melville. And he, he he's just, though, he's not a new coach. Like right. he's, he's, he's still a bit old school, not totally, but he's still a bit old school. He doesn't embrace new analytics or new ways of doing things. And I think we're seeing a clear difference between him and Dave Tippett. And there's a lot of similar things with him. I think that they're both similar ages. 
They're both from Southeast Saskatchewan, East Central Saskatchewan near me, Dave Tippett from Mooseman. And, uh, but the difference is that Dave Tippett, even in the 90s, always said that he embraced analytics, even before they had Corsi and Fenwick and all these advanced analytics that they have now. And, and fancy computer programs and everything. Dave Tippett had spreadsheets, and he was interested in that type of stuff. And I think he really embraces the new way of doing things. He's still that dad figure, and he's still really stern with his players. But I think he uh, still embraces the new way of doing things and all that. And, and and I think that's really making a difference. But whatever it is that he's doing, he's certainly getting better results. And you could say that maybe he's had some advantages. Leon Dreisaitl is just taking... Uh, another step and is at a whole other level you could make the case that Leon Dreisaitl is playing better than Connor McDavid right now mm. and I mean they're both high a level of course but he's just on another level especially when it comes to finishing uh so but would he be playing at the level I mean I'm not arguing I'm not but I, I would pose the question let's just say do you feel that same way if Drysaddle's not on the same line playing with a player as great as Connor McDavid? Well, he might because a lot of these plays, like the overtime winner today, right. I don't yeah. even think Connor was on the ice. Yeah. Right. So he can he can do it, and Connor is uh, such a sweetheart. He's gotten better at shooting, uh, you know, first, but he he's always had that pass first mentality, and he's always been proud of that, and he always always has said that in interviews. And Leon uh, is willing to absolutely just bury the puck. And he is. And, and he even when he had the game winner on a two-on-one in overtime the other day, uh, you know, he passes it to McDavid, thinking McDavid will finish it off. McDavid passes back to Dreisaitl, who does bury it. But then after the game, Leon said, I would have been fine if he would have just buried it himself, you know. And maybe he just, Connor thought he didn't have the line or whatever. But anyway, those are the best two in the league. And Leon's just on a complete other level. He's at the top of the scoring and he's just kicking ass. But it, my point is, it all comes back to Todd McClellan. And he didn't get as much out of these guys. And, uh, you know, Tippett's got them better uh, on defense positionally. The special teams were often bad under McClellan, even though that was largely on his assistance. But Tippett has the Oilers at the top of the you know, league rankings for both penalty kill and power play, which we haven't had that in forever. And so uh, we usually have at least one of them is just bottom of the league. So uh, I think Todd McClellan, uh, based on what Dave Tippett's done in a short time, and based on how the Kings are the worst team in the league, not named the Senators. <laughs> and I, I really think that the Kings were wanting a bounce back. They were so good for a few years, then they've been so bad. And I think LA really was expecting a bounce back this year. And Rob Blake and Luke Robitaille cannot be happy. And they're going to try and save their own skin, I think, here and blame it on McClellan. So I don't know what's going to happen here, but uh, I feel bad for poor Todd McClellan. Seems like a good guy, but I'm not sure he's the right choice to lead a team to the playoffs. Um, <clears throat> UFC 244 takes center stage on Saturday night from Madison Square Garden in New York City. And uh, the big ticket item, Jorge Masvidal comes into a fight against Jorge or George Diaz or whatever. Uh, Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz, sorry. Yeah, I, I knew I had... Fuck. Anyway, Jorge Masvidal comes in with a record of overall of 34 wins, 13 losses, and no ties. Nate Diaz comes in 21-11-0. And uh, should be interesting, obviously. Nate Diaz making the news last week that he 
uh, you know, had some kind of something in his system, but they found out it was okay. And then they made a big announcement when he made weight this week. And Chris had explained to you last week how big a deal it is in regard to the, the towel and everything in regard to making weight. So after they made, we make weight, that's like a reason to celebrate and go have a big meal somewhere. But besides Masvidal and Diaz, my friend, what should we be looking for as things to keep us interested in regard to UFC 244 Saturday night from New York City. Well, they're really going first class all the way. And if you remember that the uh, that New York State was the last, was the 50th of 50 states to uh, legalize professional MMA, okay. right, for the longest time. So there was this guy, off the top of my head, I think his name was Sheldon Silver or something, but there was a guy who was basically in the pocket of this culinary workers union in New York. And you always make sure that the bill would die because they had this little union had some problem with the UFC or something. It was really stupid. And just years after all other 49 states had legalized it, you're sitting here and it's not legal in New York, even though amateur MMA was legal in New York. So you can have amateur whatever, but yeah. you can't have professional. It was just, it that was, seems a little silly. Well, it was, it was, based on complete corruption. And so eventually that guy got booted out. And so then they were able to pass it, no problem. But because there was such a long period where they couldn't run MSG or go for the excellent New York fans, which is a hell of a market for a number of different reasons, uh, they've always wanted to make sure if they're going to show up in New York, they're going to put on a show. So it's not just Masvidal versus Diaz, two guys who put on very entertaining fights, mm -hmm. who just brawl like crazy. And they've got the BMF belt, the baddest motherfucker belt. That belt... It doesn't look like much, but they intentionally wanted it to look badass, like inspired by kind of the Oakland Raiders theme, they and said. And that's the one that's being handed out by The Rock, right? That's correct. And yeah, it's it's ceremonial, but I, I'd be interested to see what happens because mm. McGregor said when he comes back, he wants to like challenge for it. And, you know, I, I just think whoever loses uh, a fight, if, they're, if they have that belt, that they should give it to the next guy unofficially. But we'll see what happens with that, but... Uh, yeah, because Conor McGregor came out, number one, he said he wants that belt spit-shined for him. And number two, he said, well, then if you if they get a baddest motherfucker belt, then make me a coolest motherfucker belt, please. And so, uh, yeah, so that was interesting. But besides that fight, they're not just relying on just a one-fight thing. They're showing up at MSG and for the New York fans who were starred for MMA for so long, and they are giving them lots of great guys. I don't know a lot about Kevin Lee and Gregor Gillespie in the first fight, but after that, you've got the always entertaining Derek Lewis, Mr. My Balls Was Hot. He said <laughs> after he took off his shorts after a fight one time. So just a just a gigantic man who all he ever does is talk about how much he loves Popeye's chicken. This guy is just entertainment, all, whether it's in the ring, out of the ring, uh, you know, in the octagon, out of the octagon. This guy is entertaining, uh, facing Blagoy Ivanov in a in a heavyweight bout and uh, so that you could see some real nuclear bombs there at welterweight you've got Vicente Luque against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is just a, an amazing fighter and he ha he actually had one of his few losses in the last fight he just got knocked out I mean he basically fractured his face he got hit so hard really yeah and so he's excellent so that should be neat to see his return fight and the co-main event at middleweight you've got Kelvin Gastelum against Darren Till uh, you know, Darren Till is the type of guy that either knocks you out or gets knocked out trying. And so they're really like you can there's a clear theme here. They're clearly delivering big names and real scrappers, like not just like 
not just like a George St. Pierre who's got a big name but doesn't usually have exciting fights. Like they're delivering guys who go yeah. out there and brawl, hoping for some knockouts, hoping for the rabid, hardcore NYC fans to give, uh, you know, to get something memorable. And of course, Masvidal and Diaz, really interesting. The way this came about was after Diaz's last fight, he won. And then in the cage, uh, Masvidal was on the outside. And these guys have no hatred of each other. They respect each other, I think. But Diaz just said, you know, you know, uh, this guy... This guy out there, he's a gangster. He's not a West Coast gangster like me, but he's a gangster, and we should fight, and someone should give me the baddest motherfucker belt, and then they literally made the belt. And and it's great to have The Rock presenting it. And now The Rock announced that he is, uh, his production company is making a movie now on uh, UFC Hall of Famer Mark Kerr. And so that's going to be, I guess, his next project. So that'll be interesting, because even I don't remember a lot about Mark Kerr. He was there like in the 90s and like the original first handful of UFCs, like in the single digits, I think he might have been there even. And so, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. But yeah, I think um, I was, uh, I'd heard there might be a poker tournament tonight, but it looks like there's not. So I might, uh, I might check out this uh, pay-per-view here. Um, <clears throat> sounds good. Um, <clears throat> throat's, uh, throat's not cooperating so good today, but we will persevere. Um, I wanted to, um, you know, I just was thinking about while you were giving us the update and thank you on the UFC 244 this evening from NYC. I was just thinking about a couple other guys that I think are going to get fired. I think it just, (laughs) it just, it just came to me. And I, I had asked the question as we opened this 418th episode of Unscripted, which coach and or general manager is next to get fired in the big four of pro sports. I had talked about Freddie Kitchens in Cleveland. I think, and this may surprise you, but I think Peter DeBoer in San Jose could be a guy that they might be running out a little of patience with. There's a lot of talent on that Sharks hockey team, and they are underachieving. And I know they made the deep playoff run last year, but let's be honest, folks. I would argue this with anybody. They shouldn't have not they should not have gotten out of the first round against the Vegas Golden Knights. And yes, I am biased, but I'm also truthful to a core. And I think that, you know, there is a there must there's a huge payroll. I mean, Jesus, there's you've got Joe Thornton, but more importantly, you've got Eric Carlson and you've got guys like this and they and but they, you know, but they couldn't afford Joe Pavelski who ends up in Dallas. I I there's something there. I think that and again, I'm just throwing this out there, but this is the question I'm posing. I'm asking you, the sports fan, of the next coach, general manager, uh, high-end executive who's going to get canned from the wonderful and wacky world of sports. And also, in Chicago, the Bulls, the Bulls in basketball have been irrelevant since Jordan went to retirement, came back, and then he went into and went and played for the Washington uh, wizards. wizards, if you remember that. Michael Jordan in a Wizards uniform looked really strange. But since Jordan and Pippen and Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, Luke Longley, B.J. Armstrong, all those guys that had the six championships, Johnny Paxson, Steve Kerr, um, Chicago basketball has been irrelevant. I think that Jim Boylan, the newest coach of the Chicago Bulls, might not make it through this season. And it probably would be unfair because there's not a lot of talent on that Chicago team. But is life fair? Not really. They expect to be competitive in Chicago. They haven't been competitive for eons. 
And I think that Jim Boylan could be, again, one of these guys on this list from the wonderful and wacky world of sports. I've got another one, too, Please. that I just thought of. Love it. Uh, the New Jersey Devils. There's a couple yeah. There's a couple issues there. You've got John Hines, yeah. and uh, he's been there for a while. And this is kind of a make-or-break situation here. They're uh, amongst the bottom of the league. They've lost three in a row. They're one of the worst teams in the league at the moment. It took Jack Hughes a while to get his first point, and uh, so I don't know if they're showcasing him correctly. You've got Taylor Hall, whose uh, contract is running out right away here, and, uh, you know, it's just such a make or big time. They just spent all that money on P.K. Subban, and so how do you just go with the same old, same old? I think you've got this first overall pick with Jack Hughes. You've just made your big free agent signing. You need to either convince Taylor Hall to stay or, you know, get something for him and, and try and make his value as high as possible when you do trade him. And you're not going to get max value because he doesn't have a contract after this year. So I, I think it's really risky to keep a stale coach there. Yeah. I think they should really just cut bait right now. And uh, I'd actually say if you really look at the overall situation, I'd maybe get rid of him even before McClellan, even though the Devils are ahead of the Kings in the standings. And I don't think they can afford to mess around much longer with this. Taylor Hall came out the other day and said, we're kind of fighting our own fans. Uh, it's a tie game and we're on the power play and we're getting booed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's Taylor Hall's way of saying, what the fuck is wrong with you fans? Fuck you. I don't want to play here anymore in the swamp. That's what he's saying. Exactly what he's saying. Right? So, I mean, that's not a, that's not a good look at all. And I mean... They took it for granted for so long when they had Niedermeyer and Stevens with Brodeur behind them because what are you going to do against that? And they're playing the trap with the old rules. And Jacques I mean, Lemaire. Yeah. Oh, and like, what are you supposed to do against that team? It was ridiculous. And they took it for granted. They would hold their Stanley Cup parades in the parking lot, yeah. you know, in East Rutherford, New Jersey, which is disgusting. I, there's no excuse for that. So, uh, you know, at this team... They, they can't afford a big margin of error here. And I think if John Hines doesn't get canned soon or really turn it around, uh, you know, it's, it's really going to hurt the franchise because they're set up for great things, but they're about, they look like they're about to piss it away. A couple of quick uh, college football notes before we get out of here on this 418th episode of Unscripted. We've got Freeform Friday yet to, to tackle this week, and I always look forward to that. But a couple of notes from college foot, major college football. If you've listened to Unscripted at all, you know that I have been pushing hard, and I believe this to be true, that the University of Southern California, the USC Trojans, are, a, are one of those football blue-bred programs that have been underachieving for years. Uh, Clay Helton is the current coach out there in La La Land. He has the remainder of this season on his contract. Um, but the news in Los Angeles this week, and I'm thinking that somebody in Los Angeles has been listening to Unscripted. That's what I'm going to say, and that's what I'm going to believe. I believe that because the news that made headlines in the sports section of the Los Angeles Times this week was Urban Meyer to USC. The school itself came out. Now, the school is about to hire Mike Bond as the new athletic director to take the... Uh, the co the excuse me the position of athletic director for USC Lynn Swan retired months ago as the uh, athletic director at USC but the school itself sent out a statement saying that it will do whatever it takes to get Urban Meyer out of retirement and coaching the USC Trojans next year twofold there i've been calling that since the beginning because Urban Meyer 
is a guy that has won, has coached, and successfully won in the... uh, Now, he was at Utah, and they were in the Mountain West when he was there. But he's also won in the SEC at Florida. He's won in the Big Ten, obviously, at Ohio State. And now he wants to conquer another Power Five conference. This would be the Pac-10 or Pac-12, whatever they're calling themselves these days. And this is one of those blue blood programs you hear me talk about all the time. USC is supposed to be good. They're not. And obviously their way to credibility and get good real quick is if they can lure Urban Meyer out of the television booth. And if there's a guy with an ego to match the city of Los Angeles, Urban Meyer is your man. And before we get out of here, I do need to keep uh, my current playoff four teams intact now we are going to have we are going to have a juggle of this next week because next week next saturday lsu uh goes up against alabama in tuscaloosa alabama that's going to be a good football game that will obviously you know juggle this top four but i'm staying status quo this week in my top four of the of the four teams that should be playoffs the playoff teams for this upcoming college football playoff season, Ohio State 1, Alabama 2, LSU 3, Clemson 4. I'm staying standard on that until this time next week because this time next week, again, LSU uh, visits Tuscaloosa, Alabama to take on the uh, Nick Saban-led Crimson Tide. We've got a run on this uh, episode number 418 uh, here of On Unscripted. Uh, <clears throat> I talked so much yesterday on the phone that I'm just losing my mind, but um, we've got to run. We'll try again on this 418th episode of Unscripted. As always, we thank you for participating and hope that you continue to do so. Freeform Friday is next, as we say so long on this one. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.